You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. open. Brand new chapter today, guys. Matthew 25. And I say, yay. Chapter 24, honestly, is one of those chapters that you really need to have a good grip on what's, what God's talking about there before you try to go in there and, and preach about it. And I'm so thankful for what I've learned and the things that I gained while I was studying that. But I'm happy to be in chapter 25. I will tell you this, Chapter 25 is still part of the Olivet Discourse. Anybody ever heard those words? Somebody says, well, it's the Olivet Discourse. And, and I know some people are like, what in the world does that fancy word mean? It means Jesus went up into the Mount of Olives and sat down and taught him these things. That's all it means. He was around olive trees, so it's the Olivet Discourse. Conversation, message, we could call it if you'd like to. So just so you know, guys, um, to get into chapter 25, it's just a continuation, only now he goes into a series of parables to try to relate to them what it's like. For instance, if you'll look up in verse 48 of chapter 24, can you back up there and look, and I'll just bring you down to where we're at today. Remember he said, but if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him. And in an hour that he's not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think we're fully aware of where that place is, where there's weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, is in a, a lake of fire, a place we know temporarily as hell, and then uh, eventually sentenced to the lake of fire. And uh, so with that in mind, what God was saying there at the end of chapter 24 is, um, when Christ comes, which way do you want to be found? First part of those verses we just read describes somebody that was faithful, trying to serve the Lord, and how they'll be ushered into the kingdom of heaven, so to speak. But then the last part of it described those that did not. They just didn't get ready. That's the key word. They did not get ready. How many of you have kids? You're trying to get out the door. Okay, it could be your wife. And... Um, and you're like, hurry up, we got to get going. And she says, they say, I'm not ready. I need to continue getting ready. And I think you had three hours to get ready. Um, yes, dear, it's okay. But, uh, you know, what's what the idea was. They, they weren't ready for the time when Christ come back. So, you know, the last several times we've tried to bring you up um, as far as end time events go, you guys tell me what is the very next thing that we as Christians are waiting on as far as prophetic events, things that are coming, what's the very next thing to take place? It's called the rapture. It's the time when Christ comes back, hovers in the, the clouds. He doesn't touch the earth. Um, at his second coming, that is where he will touch the earth, set up the millennial kingdom. But, but at first, when he comes back, it's in the clouds and we get raptured up, we get caught up. Praise the Lord. If we could take a vote that it happened today, before the Vikings play tonight, I'd still vote. 
that we can be taken up. I'd love to go up in the rapture. It'd be a blessing for God to take us home. Man, that'd be exciting. So we would go to heaven if the rapture happened. And for seven years, we would be in heaven during the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, the, we call it the Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ. Sounds like he's going to judge us, but it really means a place where he doles out the rewards for the things we've done in our body while we were here on this earth. It's reward time in heaven. Seven years that goes on in heaven. Where's all the Christians during that time? In heaven. Well, who's left on the earth when the rapture takes place? Anybody that's not saved or whoever is not, what's the word? Ready. They didn't get ready. Um, And we'll describe this in our passage here today. So at the end of those seven years, I mean, the, the seven years tribulation takes place on earth at that time. The Antichrist sets up his kingdom, and, and we've described this week after week, so I won't go into much detail, except to say at the end of those seven years, Christ comes back, this time to set up his millennial kingdom and wipes out the armies of the earth that are going to try to wipe him out. Um, they have no success at that, zero. He wipes the armies of the earth out and sets up the millennial kingdom. That's what the Jews have been waiting on here. In, in the Bible. They thought that's what he was going to do there, but he didn't come to be their uh, great king at that time. He came to be their savior first. Praise God, guys. We needed a savior uh, before we need a king. And then he comes back in the second coming, what I told you about. He comes down, wipes the armies of the earth out, and then sets up that millennial kingdom for a thousand years. And there's more after that, but I'm going to stop with that. So we, uh, we break into chapter 25, and Jesus is continuing to tell us what it's like just before he comes back the second time where he touches the earth, sets up the millennial kingdom and all that. And the days just prior to that are what we know as that tribulation period. Ugly things. Read the book of Revelation. I think it's chapter 4 to chapter 18 describes what the tribulation period is going to look like for seven years. But during that time, Jesus says, uh, I've given you some signs and things to, to know that I will be coming back And I'll just put it this way, to set up my millennial kingdom. That's his true second coming. And then he gives us today, I call it's not an analogy, it's more of a parable, to tell us what it looks like prior to that. Would you look at this with me here today? I'm going to preach about, give me oil in my lamp, uh, beginning in verse 1, chapter 25. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto, now notice this, the kingdom of heaven... Um, getting to go there, be with God forever. The kingdom of of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Um, And if you want to study out the Jewish wedding ceremony, really sheds a lot of light on this. And for time's sake, I'm not going to go into great detail for that. But boy, uh, it wouldn't take a lot of Googling and things like that to find out what their... um, the Jewish wedding looked like. So, um, so they took their lamps, they went out to meet the bridegroom, and five of them were wise and five were foolish. And God describes why they were wise and foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, that means for some reason he was holding up, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. Well, this was the big event anyway, so everybody's excited. In verse 7, then all those virgins arose, the wise and the foolish, 
and trimmed their lamps, you know, trimmed the wicks down and so forth. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us of your oil. Well, what's the problem? Well, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered very wisely, saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. We don't have enough for both of us. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were, key word here, guys, ready, went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. And let's, let's pause and pray there. Father, thank you for your word that gives us sufficient warning that you've taught us over and over again to be prepared and to be ready for the day of Christ. I pray that you'll give me good understanding as I try to explain this, and I pray that it would open the hearts and the minds and the eyes spiritually of everyone here today. Father, I would ask as sincerely as I know how to ask if there's someone here today that's not saved. Christ has never been allowed to be a truly a part of their life to take absolute control forgive them of their sins wash them away in his own blood and allow him to be their savior if there's someone here today like that would you speak to that heart for the christian today god that you'll teach us while we already are saved that there are things we ought to be busy doing as well and i'll thank you for it in christ's name amen I thought I was going to open up with uh, all of us singing, Give Me Oil in My Lamp. How many of you know that song? Yeah, not enough. So I'm not going to sing the only guy up here singing the Junior Church song and uh, you out there smiling at me. But uh, I want to talk about Give Me Oil in My Lamp. So I've kind of walked you through and given you an idea of what's taking place here. And uh, I, I don't know if it's true of every pastor, but I know a lot of pastors will have a dream similar to the one that I will have semi-frequently. It's not, I've had some pastors say I dream it every week. Well, maybe three or four times a year, I will have a dream like this. It is so very real. It's so like it is really happening. I will, I'm dreaming and I'm, I come to the church. You guys are all in here. You got your Bibles out ready to go. And you're waiting on me to get up here and preach. And I, I realize I, I don't have my Bible. And I, so I go running to the office. I can't find my office. Of all things, I can't believe that. You guys are in here, you know, you'll sing extra songs and some of you start milling around and sometimes the church will just dismiss and I'm still running around out there trying to find my Bible or even worse, uh, this one was horrible. Um, so I, I got my Bible, I got my sermon. I'm ready to go and I walk into the church, ready to preach. I'm on the platform sitting and all I have is my t-shirt on. I, everything else is on. Uh, but uh, I just had a t-shirt on and everybody's just looking at me like everything's normal and I keep saying to myself they're going to notice here in a minute like you haven't seen it yet you know muscles and everything but uh, and I'm like oh I gotta somehow sneak out a door hope they don't see me sneaking out in my t-shirt and uh, and I, I come to church unprepared it's, and that's um, it's daunting if uh, as a pastor there's uh, four lessons, messages I get together every week. Sunday school, 
Sunday morning service, Sunday night service, and Wednesday night, all a different message or lesson, and they always sit on you. They're always on every preacher's heart. Preacher, why don't you just take a week off? Come back on Sunday. Okay. Guess what I'm thinking about? The whole week I'm gone. Four messages I got to be ready for. And so it it just kind of uh, always needing to be ready. That's what this is about. This whole thing was about here in in, uh, chapter 25, these first 13 verses about making sure you're ready. Now let me say this. The real context of this is this. After they get through the tribulation period and all those tribulation um, saints and sinners, some have gotten saved. I'm going to think probably millions of people get saved during the tribulation, but untold millions are going to be unsaved. And God is telling them just prior to me coming back at the end of the tribulation period in my second coming where I set up my kingdom, you better be ready because he's given his signs, he's given his wonders that are going to be taking place. And it ought to be a trigger when you read the word of God to know, hey, he's coming pretty soon. I I know he is and I need to get ready for his coming. So this is how he does it with these parables to try to trigger people's hearts to be ready. Number one, he gives a description of the bridesmaids. Did you notice them in the first four verses? We won't go back and read about them, but five were what? You got a 50-50 chance here, guys. (laughs) Five were wise and five were foolish, obviously. And uh, so uh, you find out that the wise took oil in their vessels. And that could mean just about anything. Uh, It it could be um, a little uh, pouch of something that would hold oil. It could be a container, a can-like thing that that, uh, would hold the oil. But they knew that it's potentially possible that the bridegroom, and symbolically we're talking about Christ. That's what it's really about, the bridegroom when he comes back. You know, um, but when this groom finally decides to step out and we enter into the actual wedding ceremony, they wanted to have a little extra oil just in case they, they uh, ran out, okay? Now, each bridesmaid had a lamp, and you, you go ahead and read and study about that if you'd like, but it was either a torch on a long stick with rags wrapped real tightly around the top, and they would soak it in some kind of olive oil or something, and they would light that, and it would with the rags wrapped as tightly as they were, took a long time for the oil to burn out. Or they would take a little clay lamp, and I've got one that I got in Jerusalem years ago in my office, you know, kind of like the Aladdin's looking lamp, and a little spout that comes up. They fill it with oil, a wick comes out the end, you light the end of the wick, and it slowly burns off the oil throughout the night. And they all brought their lamps. So there's the description of the bridesmaids, and I will tell you this about uh, a Jewish wedding, they sought out these uh, virgins to walk with them during the ceremony because that was common in that day especially uh, to find uh, chaste, pure, holy women that would walk alongside of, along with the bride and be a part of the ceremony and made it look more ceremonial and decorated so much more with these beautiful young virgins walking alongside. Just a little detail to kind of remember. All right, so... What made them wise or foolish, and the only thing we get in the whole passage to tell us why one set was wise and one set was foolish was had everything to do with the oil, and you need to get that. Understand, five of them had enough oil. They even brought extra that could last until the groom came back. Get the picture? Christ finally coming back also. And then these others 
They had a light, and it lasted for a little while, but they did not bring extra to last them until the bridegroom finally came back, and everybody jumps up, and, and they go to take off, and well, I'll, I'll get into that later. Let's talk about this waiting period. You can look in verse 5, if you will. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. Now, I don't know why. For some reason, this bridegroom tarried. How many men in here are married? Can I see your hand? All the men that are married, big smile, guys. Just do that with a smile, amen? All right, so I remember the day of my wedding. Yvette, you remember the day of our wedding? Remember what it was like? July, what was that date? 28th, oh, 29th, 29th. Um, it was a hot day. I remember uh, we ran bus routes in that day, and one of our friends ran the bus routes, brought all the kids on the buses to be a part of our wedding. It was the neatest thing. Our bus kids are sitting out there watching us get married. It was so neat until it was time to go out. They still threw rice in that day, and those little bus kids could not wait to pelt us. I mean, I think I still have freckles from it. They just, man, they were throwing it and laughing. Brother Phil, I was Brother Phil back then, but I remember... Uh, by the time it was time for the wedding to start, man, we'd worked so hard at this. My wife, she worked the hardest, I know that. But um, I was just ready. I was ready for this thing, get this show on the road. I just want to be married and stop having to go through all of this stuff. And I remember standing up front, and I am I'm ex truly exhausted. We had brown, um, what are those, tuxedos. And, and yellow shirts, Yvette, for the guys. I believe it was brown and yellow. Okay. And I look back, here comes Yvette down the aisle. She gets up to me, she's holding her bouquet, and uh, she's so nervous. Baby's breath around the flowers, you guys know what baby's breath is? And just, you could not see the baby's breath. It was one big blur. I'm like, you gonna make this? But really, I was just ready. I was so ready, let's do this. You can just say, do you? I'd say, I do, do you? I do, yay, we're married, let's go. I just wanted the wedding to get over with, but for some reason, this bridegroom tarried, was waiting. It's a picture of Christ. Um, let me just say this, I am so glad Jesus tarries today. God's not willing that any should perish, but uh, his desire is that all should come to repentance. And that's why God uh, waits as long as he has for him to finally come back in the rapture and so forth. But uh, for some reason, the bridegroom is tarrying. And here's all these uh, bridesmaids out there. They're slumbering, and they did what most people would do at nightfall. They, they slept, and it would be a normal expectation of these bridesmaids at a late hour like that. The wise and the foolish both slept. It was common, normal things you did while you waited for the bridegroom if they tarried for some reason that long. Now notice this, guys, and don't miss this. All the bridesmaids were dressed alike. The five foolish, the five wise were dressed just alike for the wedding. And they were all doing some of the very same things. They were all sleeping at this time. They all were carrying a, either a torch or a lamp. Uh, everybody that looked at them thought they all are tremendous bridesmaids. And, and so what you have to understand here today is that is the way it is today. Or even with maybe, and I know we're waiting on the rapture, or even with the tribulation saints waiting on Christ's true second coming to come back. It's very similar to that. If you guys would look in here today, I mean, just look around. We all are very similar in very many ways. We've dressed to come to worship God today. As we walk out of church here today, 
you walk out those doors there and right up here you see all those apartments and every now and then somebody's walking their dog or something like that. <clears throat> Even this morning when we pulled up, there was somebody down here along the, the creek line down here, I think they were walking their dog. If they looked up and watched all of us walking out of here this morning, I really do believe they'd look up and say, well, there goes all those Christians getting in their car, ready to head home, or that church, or that body of believers, whatever they would call them. Largely, there's not a whole lot that makes us different looking. Unless you just come in a t-shirt. <laughs> then you'd be very different looking. Uh, white t-shirt, glaring. But uh, really, we all look alike in, in so many ways. We walk out with our families, our individuals, whatever, whatever it might be. And those bridesmaids all looked so much alike. But here's the sad revelation that showed the major difference in their lives. It was there in verses 6 to 12. Again, I'm trusting you remember what was said there. So the cry came out, hey, here comes the bridegroom. And those bridesmaids, they wake up and they're like, oh my goodness, he's coming. We're so excited. And the five foolish virgins looked and they didn't have any extra oil. They hadn't been refilling. What, they, what they'll do a lot of times is with the torch, they'll either take the extra container of oil that they brought, re-soak the end of that torch, kind of trim off some of the ashes of the burning and so forth, and then re-soak it and, and sometimes relight it or keep it lit uh, from the previous flame. Or if you've got the little lamp, you know, the little wick that comes out, kind of gets burnt on the ends, just snip that off, add a little extra oil to that, and that's what uh, everybody would normally do. But while the bridegroom tarried and they slept, five of them, their oil was gone. It burnt out. The wick was gone or the torch was just nothing but a set of rags and a torch. But the other five stood up and had the oil, plenty of oil, soaked the end of their torches, uh, refilled the lamps. And uh, I'm not sure if the lamp actually went out. I'm going to say it probably didn't. They probably filled it up and re-soaked the torch and was allowed to keep that flame going. That's, that's my idea. And here's the five foolish virgins. Here's the big deal. It's nighttime. You hold up your lamp or your torch. Uh, the bridegroom or those attendants of his, the, part of their job was to look and see, are you actually a part of those who were invited? Uh, and to look and see, uh, notice their faces, notice that if they have the proper dress, um, the decor that they're supposed to have to enter into the wedding with. The lamp and the torch was very important, not just to be able to see the way, because the whole bridal party would be easy to follow uh, without your torch, but your torch would help identify who you were. And so they woke up, and they looked, and their lamps were gone out, the torch was gone out, the bridegroom is coming, everybody knows that, the excitement is in the air, and real quick they run over to the wise uh, virgins and shake them and say, hey, can we borrow some of your oil? We, we ran out, we were sleeping, and, and all five of them running around to the other ones, can, can you please give me some of the oil? And they look at him, they're like, you know we can't do that. If we give you part of ours, we're not going to have enough for ourselves and you. Guys, quick, run back to the store and buy some before the bridegroom gets here. And they're like, oh my goodness. So they grab their stuff, they take off running, run back into town. And while they're gone, the bridegroom literally comes, and it's my idea is that the bridegroom brought the wedding party into the hall or the place where the actual wedding was going to be taking place. And these five foolish virgins, they come running back. It doesn't say that they had extra oil or not. It's just that they for sure realize 
we're missing the main event here. We got to get back as fast as we can. They're closing the door. And so they keep running back and they, they come and pound on the door. Let us in. But if you'll read verses 6 to 12 and further, you're going to find out. It's not a good story that ends up happening here. So do you know what they said to their friends? I want you to stop for a minute and think about this with me for a minute. They, they knocking on the door, can we get in? And they could not get in. You read the story like I did. Do, please remember this. Mom and dad, if there's any teenagers and children in here, please listen to this. Those foolish virgins said, can we borrow some of your oil so we can be a part of the wedding party? You know their answer. Man, we don't have enough for us and you. Oil in the Bible is a type of the Holy Spirit. You just need to know that. All right, can you remember? Uh, oil is a type of the Spirit. And especially in this parable, it is. And what? In, if you bring this, uh, the real principle of this story and stand it up in front of us here today, what's going on is these girls were not Christians. They didn't have Christ in their heart. When you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you and changes your life inside out. If you can live your life the same way you lived your life before you got saved, now that you are saved and nothing's really changed, I got to tell you, the light of the world hasn't entered into you. The oil of God that entered the heart and soul of every Christian who gets saved today uh, literally takes up residence inside and begins to work the Spirit of God through our lives and wonderful things begin to take place. It, it makes a major change in people's lives. And they looked at them and they said, can, can we have some of your oil? And no, we can't do that. Now, now let me speak to our crowd here today. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk about being ready for the rapture. The next event we're waiting for is not the second coming necessarily. That's after the seven-year tribulation. We're waiting on the rapture. And I, I look across our church here this morning and, and, I'm, and I'm asking you, please listen to this, so important. The lesson God wants to get across is this. If there's a child sitting in here today that says, well, if the rapture happened right now, I'm sure, I'm sure I would go to heaven because uh, my mom and dad bring me to church every Sunday. And my mom and dad are Christians and we pray at every meal and, and I go to church, I bring my Bible to church and I, I listen to the Sunday school lesson, I even answer a few questions. My mom and dad are Christians, surely if anybody goes to heaven, I get to go to heaven. Let me say this to the boys and girls here today, please listen, you're not going to get there on your mom and dad's Christianity. You can't borrow oil from somebody else and expect to get into heaven. Well, I have an uncle, my uncle, the greatest preacher, I have heard this so many times, it was either uncle or a grandpa, was the greatest preacher. We have a long line of preachers in our, in our family, and uh, man, they just great churches and everything like that, and, and uh, I've talked to these people and door knocking and trying to witness to them, do you know the Lord as your Savior? Oh, let me tell you. My question was, do you know the Lord as your Savior? And they go into this, my grandpa, he was a strong Christian man. He was a preacher, and, and then my dad was, and my great-grandpa. And they go into this long story, and I'm smiling at him. I said, man, that's so great. And they get all done, and I say, yay for your grandpa. Now let me ask you that question again. Do you know that you're saved and on your way to heaven? Oh, of course I am. I had one guy. I was door knocking, uh, not too far from, from the church out over here, 
and uh, was just trying to invite folks to come to church, and it kind of worked our way into the gospel a little bit. It was a very natural subject to do so, and I, I asked him if he was a Christian. I said, are you sure that you know Christ as Savior? Are you a Christian? And uh, of course I am. And I'm like, yay, man, I shook his hand. Isn't that good to know? And I said, hey, how do you know that, by the way? I was born in America. This is his answer. I was born in America. It's a Christian nation. And he's looking at me like, fool. That's really the way he was looking at me. Like, you fool. I'm born in a Christian nation. I laughed out loud because I thought he was joking with me. And he got very offended at me because he was not joking with me. He really meant that. And I tried to share with him how he could know that you can have oil in your lamp, that when Christ comes back, it'll be burning. When Christ comes, you can get ready for that. But he wasn't about to have any of that. I had already offended him, I guess. Uh, I learned my lesson. Don't laugh at any answer anybody gives you about if they're saved or not. I don't know if you think you're getting to heaven based on somebody else's good works, salvation, or even, let's even put it this way, guys. Somebody says, yep, I, I was baptized. I'll hear Baptists say this. Um, how many of you are saved? Well, I got baptized, and they'll give me a date. They got baptized. I'm like, man, that's so wonderful. Did anything happen before you got baptized? Oh, yeah, I got saved. I'm like, really? Um, you don't get to heaven based on your baptism either. Because, man, if you could, somebody needs to call Jesus really fast and tell him, guess what? You don't have to die on the cross. All we got to do is get baptized. So just stay up there. We're doing fine down here. Honestly, you don't get to heaven because of the water or your church membership. Eastside Baptist, you're a member of our church. You're not getting to heaven based on your church membership or your families. I'm just saying, you can't borrow oil from anybody or anything else. It only comes through salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ when a man calls upon the name of the Lord. So here's what's so scary in verses 10 to 12. Look in verse 12. They run back to the door. They're knocking. Hey, hey, let us in. Please open the door for us. Verse 12. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. Four worst words in all the world. It's ever going to be uttered to anybody. I, I don't even know you. You know, no lamp, no torch, couldn't see who they really were. But in reality, the truth of the matter is, they never received Christ as Savior. By the way, when you get saved, there's a book written in heaven that has the names of everybody who is saved in that book. It's called the Book of Life. And when you stand before God, one day, God will open that book and will search the book and will search for your name. We'll search for Philip Spencer. We'll search for your name. He's not going to go to your mom and dad and say, did, uh, did you live a good enough life for you and your children? God's going to look at you and ask, were you ready? Have you prepared? Have you gotten ready for this next main event? Either your death or the rapture that is coming. And typical question is, hey, if you were on your way home, hit by a semi, where are you going to go? Would you answer that question today? If you died right now, where would you go and what would you base your answer on? If your answer is heaven, if you're basing it on anything other than the blood of Jesus Christ that covers my sin debt, then friend, you're trusting in some oil that you do not have. I never knew you. So God gives us a 2,000-year warning in verse 13. 
Look at it. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Nobody knows. Those virgins had no idea. He slumbered for some reason, and they knew, man, it's taking him a while. I wonder why it's taking him so long. But they didn't know for sure when he was coming back. And Jesus looks down on this congregation here this morning. Everybody here is going to give an account for these words. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. When he does come back in rapture, are you going to be ready? Do you have Christ living in your heart? Does the oil of the Spirit reside in you? Are you saved? I hope and pray that you do. Then can I ask you a question? Is your mother saved? (coughs) Yvette and I are praying for her mother. Her name is Kitty. She's 83 years old. Um, Found her in the bathroom, fallen over, had fallen and was able to set the alarm and somebody came and got her and she's in the hospital right now she has influenza a she's not saved we've been begging and begging god is there some way that we or somebody could get to her and and she would be open enough to listen to the gospel we, we want to see her get saved we're working at it we're doing what we can is your daddy saved are your children saved or we've just bought into this American dream, you know, try to get the best we can in this life, you know, man, uh, do my best. Uh, we taught Sunday school this morning, man, I just want to make a million dollars. I've heard some young men say that's their goal in life. I want to be a millionaire. That's what they're working toward and miss the greatest treasure of all. And that's Christ in your heart. So maybe the little song, give me oil in my lamp keep me burning, burning, burning is not such a childish little song after all. If you're not saved today, could I challenge you? We're going to give an invitation, give an opportunity. If you're unsure of your salvation, would you just forget everybody else and think about you? And one day I'll stand before God with an answer. Do I, does he know me or not? And would you be willing to let us take the word of God and show you how to be saved? Would you please? If you've got a loved one that needs to be prayed for, it'd be a great time to do that as a body of believers working together for their salvation. I'm going to ask if you'll uh, stand together with me, our heads bowed and eyes closed. Uh, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and I'm going to pray and ask God to bless uh, in the invitation here and work in our hearts. So while you come, and, and our heads are bowed and eyes closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.